0: With the advent of social media, something new has happened in society. Whereas in the past, the only place really in society that you're ever rated or ranked was around the area of sports. But today with social media, everyone that's engaged in social media is ranked every day, all the time with every post. And we're continually comparing ourselves to others. How many likes? How many followers? How many comments? Imagine being an adolescent growing up in a world where you're continually ranked where you're you're never good enough because there's always someone with more likes, more followers, more connections. We're going to talk about how that's changing society today with students. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory.
1: The Thought Factory
2: podcast is brought to you by Never the Same cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org.
0: Hey, we're glad you're with us on the Thought Factory podcast. Jason, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Thank you for allowing me to hang out with you today. It's actually good to hear your voice. Well, I see
2: you. Everyone else is probably saying, good to hear your voice.
0: That's right. So we're glad you're with us. And today we are talking about, as always, some really critical, important things as we talk about what's happening with students in mental health. And connected to this episode is our last episode where we talk about a lot of these similar issues, but from a, a, a little different perspective. Our guest was Jackie Shepard, an uh, amazing woman, and she talked to us about the physiological connections between depression and our physical bodies. And it's something that not a lot of people are talking about and she's got some great medical uh, research and insight into that. So if you haven't done that, check out that episode, especially in conjunction with this one now.
2: We are really wanting to focus on mental health and just discuss it. Allow it to be a conversation, not only between us, Jeff and I, and our guests, but also with you and amongst your students and, and your leaders and hoping that we open up the conversation to feel more comfortable to discuss it, to, to look at the signs and to say, what do we need to be aware of? in social media, smartphones, digital, we are just trying to figure it out as adults, but students are dealing with it every single day. We talk about the anxiety that they experience, the, the comparison that they have, to their classmates, their friends, the people that they don't even know, celebrities, people that are quote unquote call influencers on social media. And we're all comparing and that's affecting our mental health. We are really wanting this conversation, this discussion to guide us in in helping students in this area.
0: Yeah, we live in an age of comparison with social media, especially. and And so, yeah, these things are important. And in our work, Jason, we, we interact locally with, with students from our local churches, and we interact nationally and in person with students all across the country in the summer at NTS Camp. We're getting ready. We're gearing up for that. It's exciting. Our staff hits the road. We literally interact with thousands of students from churches all over the country. We would love, we would love it if you'd come visit us and check it out. If you don't have a camp or something that you connect your students' youth group church with in the summer, join us. Find out more at ntscamp.com. Jason, I'd love to meet these people personally.
2: In about a month, we will be at Indiana Wesleyan in Marion, Indiana. So if you are in some close proximity to that location, we would love to meet you. As Jeff said already, he would love to meet you.
0: Even if you're not in close in proximity, fly, drive, whatever. But we're all over the country. You can find all those locations. We're not just in Indiana, but we're all over the country. Find that on ntscamp.com, and we'd love to see you there as part of what we're doing here in our ministry. We don't mention a lot, but if you're interested in our organization, you go to neverthesame.org. You can see all the plethora of different things we're doing. and uh, So let's jump into this episode. Alright, we've got a special guest, It's a good friend of ours, and uh, not someone we just know on stage, but know personally, he's the real deal, Phil Joel, who's currently oh. touring with Newsboys United, and Phil, you just released a pretty cool book, tell us about it.
1: Ta-da, yeah, hi guys, yes, new book, fun sort of season of life, you know, never, read, never written a book before, I mean, I don't have a bucket list, so it's not definitely not been something on my bucket list, but yeah, the book came out not so long ago. What's the title? It's titled Redwoods and Whales, which makes no sense to you whatsoever, does it? Until you read it, then you read it, and it will start to unfold for you. But um, so this is about nature. It, yeah, trees and big fish. No, nah. <laughs> it's um. Well, I'm a bit of a hippie, Jason. You know that. But, <laughs> I you do. Know, good.
2: You still wear yeah. those bell bottoms?
1: Oh, of course, of course. You know, I I I, I saw a girl wearing some stella bell bottoms on the street yesterday, and I thought, yep. That's it. It's all coming back. They are
0: coming you know? back. They yes. are coming back. So you're leading the way once again. Right. Thank um, you. No, 40 no, no. years later. Just ne- right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, just,
1: I just never left. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, this book came about, I wrote, I wrote it based on an experience I had in Northern California. And it, about three years ago, I was, had a couple of days off from touring and, I went to a place called Bodega Bay, which is you know, San Francisco, go over the Golden Gate Bridge, swing a left, head up the coast, and there's this wonderful little town. It's like a little harbor town with seagulls and sailboats and all the, the whole, whole, whole bit. It's very much like New Zealand, where I'm from. Anyway, so I love it. And uh, that night, I went for a walk down the beach. It was about 11 o'clock, pretty late and dark. And um, I was strolling along the beach. I go to walk around a whole bunch of rocks, and as I do, I realize all of a sudden, boom! These, these are not rocks. This is a whale. This is a whale on the beach, and uh, this whale had died. Anyway, I, you know, yes, maybe I am a bit of a hippie, but I don't get I don't get upset about roadkill. You know, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I see a possum on the side of the road that's been hit by a car. I'm not upset about it. You know, necessarily, but this was different. This was something else. You know, you know, you have these moments too. It's, it, where you feel like, man, I, I think the Lord's sort of showing me something here, not just that this is something that you don't see every day, but there's something deeper to this. Sure enough, you know, these these whales, these gray whales, this was a gray whale that, that I found, they migrate from Alaska down to Mexico. And uh, something catches their eye often and will... Get them off course, you know. That will send them off on a different trajectory. Get them away from where they're meant to be, out of the flow with their family and their friends, their pod, heading down the coast there. And they will, they will chase something, and it might just be for a little bit. But it doesn't take much before they're disoriented and get lost and get, um, you know, out of their space and they don't know where they are and they end up on the beach, and they're breathing shallow and dying slowly, which is obviously tragic, but. There's a metaphor there, a really powerful metaphor for for a lot of people's lives. I think it's very easy for us to get you know, distracted, something to catch our eyes, and all of a sudden we're just disoriented and not sure where we are, and we're breathing slowly, and we don't know how to get back into the flow of where we're meant to be. And um, so that was the one metaphor there with the whale, and then the next day I headed up into the redwoods, um, or up the coast, and then I ended up in the redwood forests. Where you know I don't know if, you know you guys have been up there but it's just it's awesome
0: yeah it's incredible <laughs>
1: that's, you know that's one of those words you, you know you, we throw around awesome a lot but it was it and it is those trees are just awesome they're massive and they're just beautiful and they are you know kind of correct you know they're doing what they're meant to do they 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 got their roots down deep they're connected to one another they're drinking deep from the river that runs alongside this road. That I was uh, driving along, you know, in this particular on this particular day, and growing tall, providing shade for me, useful, you know. And um, man, that metaphor is one that is just that's not that's not a new one, you know. That's Psalm one, that's Jeremiah 17. You know, blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, his hope is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by the river, with his roots running deep, and you know, he'll get greener. He won't be anxious. He'll bear fruit. And so this metaphor was just powerful compared to what I saw the last the night before. And I felt like, Man, I need to write this down. Yeah. To, you know, and maybe it's just like from a songwriter perspective, you're always kind of looking for things to to write songs about or inspiration and so I wrote I you know, in the next couple of days I, I began to write that story down. And then over the course of almost, I don't know, two years I just kind of kept writing a little bit here and there and connecting the dots before I knew it I'd written a book you know and and the book was written I think and when I was writing it in my mind I'm writing I was writing it primarily for students because so many students just don't they just feel so off you know like where am I what am I doing where do I need to be what do I need to get myself involved in where do I, how do I need to get my roots down deep so that I don't get blown over all the time or don't get off course so I wrote it for students to begin with and then um, you know it's been just kind of accepted by all kinds of people really which is really really fun
0: well let me say first of all writing a book for you is incredible because I can barely get a text message (laughs) or an email much less an email so congratulations (laughs) congratulations on that very well done thank you very very good (laughs) We well, did write it in crayon too. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Well that's yeah, a that's big, a start. That's yeah. a start. But but no, Phil, we love your heart for students. I mean yeah. I know we know you personally. You're you're a dear friend of ours and you do love students and and that comes out in the ministry that you have and so we wanted to get this in front of our audience because we know your heart. We know that it is deep and it does care about students and it's kingdom minded. And this book really is amazing. I've gotten a little bit of a preview of it. It just came out. So we want, yeah, to point people towards this amazing resource and helping students, yeah, deal with, with the things in life.
2: So, Phil, I know that this is very poetic and has a great metaphor, but I know just knowing you and the heart for students and I love your heart there is a deeper meaning to even expanding the text into a book so that it can impact other people why don't you go further into not just the metaphor but the the deeper meaning for this book
1: sure yeah I mean the metaphor is kind of fun you know and it's kind of entertaining it's not like every day you walk down the beach or you cruise down the street and you've come across a whale you know yeah Whereas obviously it's it's sort of jarring and it jarred me in that the reality of that moment it was like what is this and so there's the entertainment value in the book for sure. You know, there's lots of stories and all kinds of things in there that keep people reading. And you know, I'm a songwriter. I'm I'm a performer. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Christian musician. If you want to call me that, whatever. So, but there's a there's an entertainment value in what we do. You know, so I wrote this book with an entertainment you know element to it to keep Absolutely. people turning pages. But I want I want truth to sink down deep. And the truth is that we all we're all born with this this thing it's in us where we, we want to be seen, we want to be understood, and we want to be loved or liked, you know? And it's in all of us. And it's okay. It's okay because that's there because God wants to fulfill those things. He wants us to understand that he man, he he made us. So of course he sees us. He knows us by name. He knows everything about us. He knows us the the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the weird and the wacky. He knows who we are and understands us. And in the midst of all that, he actually really likes us. He really, really likes us, and I know we say, "Well, God loves you," and we think, "Well, He only loves me when I'm a good boy," mm-hmm. you know. No, He loves you all the time. He thinks you're fantastic. He's your dad. He's your heavenly dad, and he he, he knows who you are. He made you, and he wants you to receive that from him—that love, that understanding, and that the reality that He sees you and you're really important. So if if we don't get that from Him, we're going to try and get it from other places, and these other places. Uh, will just, honestly, will just make us sicker if that's what we keep trying to receive. And with the, the reality is students, grown-ups, all of us, you know, adults, whatever, we don't necessarily go to other places to find those things consciously. I think it's a subconscious thing. It's in our hearts. We, we're born to, to to receive these things, but primarily we're born to receive them from God. So if if we go to things like social media, we're throwing out the best you know, pictures of ourselves, the best experiences, whatever it is, the best jokes, the best gags, whatever, to try and be seen, to try and be understood and, and, and liked, um, to become validated, then it's never going to be enough. And we're going to keep chasing that, and we're going to get on this cycle that'll just wear us out and wear us thin, and we will breathe shallow. Um, and so that's one of the things I attack in the book. I don't attack it, but I, I you know ask a big question of what is social media doing to you, doing to your heart? Is it drawing you away from where you meant to be or is it helping? You know, is it over promising and under delivering? And, you know, and it's good to get a perspective on these things. I actually put the, the option on the table in the book and I say, you know, hey, if this is tearing away, tearing your heart away from where it needs to be, you don't have to do it. You don't have to participate. Don't be afraid of missing out. You won't miss out. You know, In fact, you're actually missing out now on reality, the reality of who you are and what you need to get from the Lord that will make you healthy and strong and get you on course. So that's one of the big things I open up in the book, you know, and, and I think it's timely. I think people need to sort of put that under the microscope. And pornography is the other one I think is pulling a lot of people's hearts away um, and, and driving people into the shadows and into shame. And how do we attack that? How do we look at that? What is it? What is it looking for? what is it, you know, what's it trying to pull out of us, out of our hearts, and and what is it taking from us? Um, so, yeah, so there's some big sort of questions, big things that we need to, you know, put on the table and, and look at, and I, I dive into those things in the book, and at the same time, have a bit of a laugh with it all, and you know, try not to take it all too seriously, but at the same time, it is serious, you know.
2: That's great. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for allowing our audience to know more about what your book is about and who you are and echoing the sentiment that's already been said. But, yeah, we love your heart. That's the main reason why uh, we have even really partnered uh, in ministry because when I first met you, I was like, man, this man has a solid gold heart and uh, love for the Lord, and it's undeniable. So thank you for what you're doing, not only for— in the the music industry, but also trying to just be uh, a beacon of light for students who are searching.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think we all just have to bring to the table who we are and what we've got, you know. And I think that's, that's even in the book, really in that if we're not becoming the people we actually are meant to be, then we're going to get ripped off and the people around us are going to get ripped off. But the reality is as we walk with the Lord and enjoy him, understand his goodness and his heart for us, then the stupid stuff seems to just melt away, you know, kind of drops off, drops drops off. and I think we become the people we're meant to be, and we bring who we are to the table, and that's that's kind of a call for all of us, you know, I want I want to know the people around me, and who they, have, who they are, and what they bring, and so, I don't know, I think, you know, you sort of say, you're sort of saying some nice sort of things about me, but I'm just trying to be me, right, yeah. isn't that what we we're all trying to do, just yeah be the people God created us to be and walk the paths that he wants us to walk and deliver the stuff he wants us to deliver. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just a delivery boy, you know?
2: Well, you're doing it well and you're very genuine. So yes, the book is Redwoods and whales. You can find it at, Barnes & Noble, I know that, because you found your own book at Barnes & Noble. It's
1: yeah. <laughs> that, so cheese ball, right? I like no, no, it's great. I went to the store and bought my own book when it came out. That's Luckily, exciting. there wasn't really anyone in the store. in the, the sales. <laughs> so no one could
2: recognize who good. this author I, was? book, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's at my
1: own and getting all, I just grinned from ear to ear, and then you know the cl- sales clerk, she was kind of busy, so she really didn't know. <laughs> it, so <that>
0: <laughs> well, congratulations. We're excited about it. Thank you. After the break, we
2: will speak to our next guest, Clinton Foppel, who is from Remedy Live, speaking further into the topic of students and mental health in the age of comparison. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kenny and L. Campbell from StuffYouCanUse.org.
3: And from GrowCurriculum.org. Guys, if you are looking for an annual curriculum and strategy for your youth ministry, we'd love for you to check out Grow Curriculum. You can find us at GrowCurriculum.org.
0: Our guest today is Clinton Foppel, a longtime veteran working with students in youth ministry, doing some incredible work you're going to hear about. If you want to learn more, we're going to tell you up front. He's going to mention at the end, but if you go to RemedyLive.com, an amazing ministry helping students in crisis. They've got over 40 staff working 24-7 all the time, reaching students online that are in crisis. So learn more about that at RemedyLive.com. He's got some more information he'll share at the end about what he's doing. But it's our privilege today. You're going to love this conversation that we have with, with Clinton Fowple. Well, Clinton, it's great to have you with us. We are pumped to have this conversation. So let's start off just hearing about you, a little bit about your background, and then what you are doing.
3: Well, it's, I'm thankful to be with you guys today. I am uh, someone that's very passionate about youth workers and youth ministry in general, been involved in youth ministry for 30 years working you know, vocationally as a youth pastor, and then about a dozen years ago, I uh, was recruited to start a parachurch organization called Remedy Live, and that has been just an incredible journey the last 12 years, learning about students from a mental health perspective, helping kids in crisis, um, using technology as a bridge to get them talking about what's going on in their lives, and um, I'm just excited to be a part of this because, again, anything that we can do to partner with a local church, partner with youth pastors, get kids talking about their one-only lives so that they can fully experience the hope that comes from Jesus. Is time well spent, so I'm good to be with you guys.
0: You guys have really done a great job, as I've heard about you and watched you from afar over the years, in using technology in ministry. So let's go a little deeper into what Remedy Live is. Talk to us about what you were doing and, and how technology is playing into that.
3: Yeah, so t- 12 years ago, when we were asked to start this thing, we didn't know where to begin, but we knew that there was something coming on the horizon that was going to change uh, a lot of the ways that we interacted with students. Remedy launched the same week that the iPhone came out. So that gives you some context as to the way that we kind of ran alongside the smartphone generation. And Inning, we flirted a lot with uh, internet radio and trying to create broadcasts that would allow kids to listen, yes. But also interact through webcams. And back in those days, there was AOL and various instant messenger services that we were using. But um, one day while we were on the air doing our broadcast and using the, the DJ model to connect with students, a young man chatted with us that he was uh, in the midst of a suicide plan. And when you when you have a student face-to-face, you know, you, know, you know the voice inflections, you know to look in, in the eyes, you, you know whether you're being told the truth, at least to a certain degree, and you know how to get them help. But when it's a screen and it's, a, it's an AOL you know handle, you don't really know, what do I do with this? How do I help this young person other than pray? Luckily, this young man had won some some prizes on another show on the broadcast. We had a mailing address. Uh, we called 911. We, we dispatched all the information we could as to where this young man lived. And um, later that night, a police officer called me and said that they'd found a 16-year-old male dying on his living room floor and that it was a legitimate call. And, and just in many ways, this police officer was just affirming that we had saved this kid's life. That was, that was back in 2008. And we began to believe that technology, although it's got a lot of negatives to it, technology, if used for the purpose of getting kids talking about real-life issues – could be the first tip of the spirit to a greater conversation about hope and meaning and purpose and definitely as a pre evangelism tool for an audience that maybe wouldn't walk into a church or wouldn't talk about spiritual things face-to-face so we we leaned hard into that whole concept of live chat and we leaned even harder into building our own technology our own software and becoming a software company that would build technology that would allow conversations to occur and it started out with chat And, you know, one-on-one chat services to, you know, between our team of trained people and the students that would find us on Google or find us after an event. Um, But it blossomed into interactive polling tools that we could use with large groups of students in high schools. And, you know, as an example, in the last three years, we've polled over 90,000 students using our technology to help them see in a live audience that they're not alone and then connecting them to the chat center so that they can talk further about what it is that they're going through. And so technology for us has been a just a, another way, another conduit by which to have that important relationship started. But by all means, we believe that the most important relationship is what our audience that we're talking to today does, and that's the life-on-life relationships.
2: The main reason we are even talking to you is because we want to discuss this topic of mental health, and we feel like you have quite the expertise in this area, Clinton. Mental health, it seems like there's been more... Awareness in the recent years of there, we got to take a look at mental health, a deeper issue for students, especially amongst the the tragedies that we see at schools and stuff like that. So there's more discussion, but why is mental health something that's hard to even talk about?
3: Yeah, well, I think you know I liken it to to my physical health. I, I'm a little older, as I've already mentioned, 30 years in youth work, so I'm I'm in my late 40s and. Last year, I had to have some pretty serious surgery, but before that surgery, it was on my back. Uh, You could physically tell that I was struggling and that I needed some kind of health treatment. But if I'm struggling with suicide or depression, I can fake that and I I can even believe the lie that if I shared this, people would see me different because mental health, sadly, has been stereotyped as craziness or people that are uh, in the church, we've unfortunately really demonized this issue and made it sound like if you have mental health issues, then you're not trusting God, or you're not believing, you know, in in God's power enough. And you know, if we go back far enough in the history of the church, it's literally that we're being oppressed and d- demonically affected. So, this has been a very big issue in our society that we've allowed stigma to grow around, and because of that, we don't talk about it. And yet, every one of us has mental health because every one of us has a brain. Every one of us has to think through those things of how we feel and and navigating, you know, the fogginess and cloudiness that can come with depression or the overwhelming feelings of panic when we start dealing with, you know, overwhelming situations. And yet these are things that we don't easily talk about because sometimes we don't know how our feelings compare to other people's feelings. And then secondly, we worry again about what people might think of us if we were to share these things because of some of the stigma attached to it. So it's something that's long overdue. I'm glad that there's now more awareness in our society to talk about it. There's more people like uh, The Rock, you know, the, the action star coming out and talking about his depression. There's more people uh, in the NBA like Kevin Love who talked about his panic attacks and his anxiety. And of course, then we have the others, the Kanye's and others that are talking about it. But we need to do more to get our kids talking about it because peer-to-peer support is one of the most powerful things we have within youth ministry to help other kids.
0: You've seen a lot of trends, you've been in it for a long time. Where was it when you started? Compare it 12 years ago to today as far as students, mental health, anxiety, depression, some of those issues. What, what trends are you seeing over time?
3: Well, you know, again, I've, as I look at the smartphone and, and its growth, you know, that's a completely separate era, if you will. And, and I, I can talk to that today if you guys w- want to do that. But even if I think of just prior to smartphone, I think what we began to see within the general youth population was more of an abandonment. And again, that's why youth workers are so important. Abandonment in regards to kids feeling like, like they had trusted adults in their life, kids that felt like they had someone that believed in them and cheerleaded them and cared about them. And um, I think that what I began to see in the late 90s and the early part of the millennium was more self-harm, more uh, I don't believe I have value more. I'm not, you know, I'm not important and no one really cares about me and myself. And and that is that is mental illness right there, the belief that no one cares. Um, and I think that, that that season kind of prepped, sadly, this generation that when smartphones came on the scene, now I could find meaning, I could find value, but it was counterfeit. It was virtual. It was cyber. It was app-based. It was, quote unquote, finding friends through different applications on my phone. And it still didn't fill the void. In fact, it worsened it because now our brain is not only you know being tricked into believing we have community, but finding that there's no true meaning in feeling validated and feeling like we really matter like we do when we're with somebody physically and, and being able to hear their voices and see them and, and get the care that can come from being part of a community. And so uh, I think the trend that we've really seen is a generation that's felt abandoned and they felt abandoned by Um, Mentoring. They felt abandoned by their parents. They felt abandoned even by their friendship circles. And they're trying to find relationships at any cost. And, you know, that's why we we see such a a growth in in dating applications and places where we can belong. Because I believe at the core, we've got a a generation of millennials that are deeply trying to find out where they belong in this world by way of community. And if they can't find that, they're trying to manufacture it through any type of method possible. Early on, that was self-harm now we're seeing of course you know unfortunately a lot of experimentation with escapism not just with drugs and alcohol but deeper things like pills and uh, now the opiate crisis that we're seeing throughout the nation and then ultimately i believe that we're we're losing a generation into this world of not talking about their problems and so we really need to do all that we can as youth workers to get kids talking about real things so that they feel like they can be heard about their value and who they are
0: do you connect some of the trends with what seems to be the rise of depression anxiety, do you link that with the smartphone?
3: I do, um, and, and not everyone does. I'm a bit extreme on this regard because I see the correlation between what we started to do and what, we, what we've done now for a dozen years right alongside these these devices. I believe, and some research shows that, Psychology Today did an article recently that shows that the, the frontal lobe of the brain Is actually atrophying it's shrinking because of extended screen usage and so extended screen usage would be defined as five or more hours a day of of long term use so it's not just picking it up every once in a while but it's it's five hours of staring at that screen which we're finding out with teens is not uncommon for someone to spend extended hours either playing games or spending time on social media and so I am seeing that we're seeing an increase in anxiety because of smartphone use we're seeing a we're seeing a decrease this is, this is fascinating. We're seeing a decrease in the compassion center that the brain provides, but we're seeing an increase in bullying. And so as our compassion center in the physical brain decreases or, or shrinks, we're seeing uh, students say things they shouldn't have never said. We're seeing students post comments they would have never otherwise posted, but that, that's because there's no filter in that brain that's telling them this is, this is not the way to treat people. And so all of that, you know, I believe, can be attributed to the fact that we've, we've seen this, this smartphone device, this technology, not only affect the brain by way of, of escapism and, and something that we can, quote-unquote, do to waste time, but we're literally seeing this, this device, because of its captivating, almost hypnotic way of entrancing this generation, we're seeing it actually physically shrink the brain in the frontal lobe
2: that is definitely fascinating we've had similar conversations amongst us as staff and with other people in regards to smartphones and the brain and and just even the topic of anxiety how students are going online with social media and comparing their lives with with their friends with celebrities with people that they don't know they have to rate themselves they're being rated all of this stuff that they haven't had to deal with or we haven't had to deal with as adults when we were young in middle school and high school, the trend that we see and, and to hear from you that you see it as well, as you work alongside the the development of the smartphone, what from your perspective is the state of mental health amongst 13 to 25 year olds today?
3: Yeah, I think we're you know I know that this sounds dramatic, but I think we're in a in a critical place. I think finally i'm excited that manufacturers like apple are putting in screen time you know modes where you can actually measure how much time you spend on your device you could if you if you want to you could you could have an application turn off after a half an hour of use and i think it's because the manufacturers are starting to listen to the experts and say you know the color temperature of the screen combined with usage is affecting the brain especially in a forming brain which is what we all all human beings have a brain that's forming pretty specifically until the year of uh, age of 25. So I, I think we're at a critical place. I believe that today's teenager is, like you said, dealing with anxiety at a significant level of the 90,000 kids that we polled and asked the question, what rate your level of anxiety in your life right now. Um, categorically, it's almost 40% of this generation says high. Uh, and then the next is like 30% that says, you know, medium, if there is such a thing. Very few kids believe that they have low anxiety today because they're constantly, like you said, not only comparing themselves, but trying to keep up with expectation academically, athletically. And then you throw in spiritually, if you're in a, in a family or if you're in a, in, a, in a community that makes you feel bad about your sin tendencies, that can really take over in a completely different way because now you've got this anxiety that comes from spiritual, which is really supposed to be this, this comforting thing that we have hope in Christ and we have help in the community of God versus this kind of feeling like I'm not good enough there either. So I think anxiety is probably the biggest thing that I'm concerned about because it's like to driving a car, pedal to the metal in one direction as, as fast as you can, as long as you can. But we know that ultimately that's not sustainable. So we're seeing kids that are having significant panic attacks. We're seeing kids that are choosing to self-medicate because they can't stand the, the constant of go, of go, 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 go. And then the reality is, is that we're seeing an increase. The, the, the CDC has finally started to share results that we've, we're seeing a, a, an incredible high a peak in teen suicidal ideation, especially among 17-year-old females where young women just aren't pretty enough. They're not as good-looking as the porn stars that their boyfriends are looking at. They're not as smart as their friends. They're not as good-looking as the next girl on Instagram. And so they're really under specific attack to be able to figure out who am I? Where's my value lie? How do I fit into the life that I've been given?
0: We've talked about a lot of things you're saying on and off the air in this podcast. We've had uh, various guests. This is obviously a thread in what we're hearing, what you're saying. And and I think, Clinton, going back to some of the things that uh, the, the other environmental factors, students that are With the smartphone, they're staying up all night. They're on their phones. We're talking to students. We're getting research in that area of our own. And combined with the fact that a lot of them aren't eating right, their life is, you know, moving all the time. They might even be shuffled around between homes and parents. And you combine that with maybe uh, travel teams around the weekends, lack of sleep, lack of water, lack of having any kind of activity physically in their life. You know, where my kids go to school, they just eliminated gym as a you know, as a requirement for school. And I'm thinking, man, in our time, there's that that seems to be indicative of our culture is let's squeeze in everything else we can and leave out some key elements for students, you know, getting physical activity, being outside. So when I think about it too and what you're saying, I, I'm you know, I'm thinking of a student that is in school all day. They come home, they've been denied their phone all day. So they jump on their phone. They're in that world for a couple hours they're inside they're alone then they they might grab a meal with their parents uh, it might not be the greatest and then they're doing homework for a couple hours then they're going to bed they're never outside they might not eat right all those things combined just seems to be this perfect storm to create a lot of what's happening and I think sometimes like you're saying they're obviously like in our passion area there's a the, there's the spiritual component to our lives but there's also the the physiological the physical component of the combination of all these things and i would just say even a lack of rest mm-hmm. right there you know they're they're going all the time and as yeah. adults we've got to protect them so we're talking with youth workers here and it's been fascinating to hear what what you've learned and what you're learning and what you're seeing in the trends talk talk to youth workers parents pastors listen to this what can we do to make a difference in students lives in these trends
3: yeah so there's no easy answer because what we've learned the hard part of what we've learned is that most parents and and most quote unquote trusted adults in kids lives are also struggling you know this is a, a crisis across the board i think teens are struggling with it the most because their brains again are still forming but you know i was talking to some youth workers recently that i have a relationship with and as I talked about the things that you and I are talking about right now, they started to see and feel. They started to feel guilty about their own smartphone use, yeah. And their own their own fatigue. And you mentioned rest. You know, we need Sabbath. We need um. We need to unplug. Again, I, I referenced the the screen time concept that Apple released in that that recent iOS that allows you to turn off your device and turn off your apps at a specific usage time. I think that that's what we need to start doing is helping our kids understand the importance of self-discipline and turning those things off. But what we as adults can do is, of course, model this and show why we're doing it and do some really intentional things to have activities that are outside of, of, of technology and, and spending time, not just outdoors hiking and using the, the outdoors for uh, all the good things that we can do with it, but but to spend more face-to-face time, spend more time intentionally uh, doing things where, uh, you know, voices are being heard and ears are being used to listen and and not requiring some kind of a text exchange to be a part of it. Now, I am not trying to say that technology is bad in all regards. Heck, I, I, I co-founded a technology organization, so I believe in it with all my heart. But I would say that everything in moderation and what we need to err on more is the time that we spent intentionally doing relationship face-to-face outside of technology so that we can build up everything from accountability to self-discipline to just being able to, to to prove to kids this is far better and far more enjoyable than spending five hours in my room, you know, Snapchatting with all my friends.
2: Without sounding anti-technology and, you know, we've identified some of the the causes of, of the anxiety and, and with the smartphone and, and just being exposed to digital screens for a longer period of time. And recognizing the trend and, and still talking about mental health, how can we not only recognize the signs of suicide, but then as adult leaders, as as youth pastors, as parents, how can we step into that area and, and be of help as well?
3: Yeah, so I, there's a there's a stigma even around suicide prevention that if you ask a young person, do they ever have thoughts of suicide, that you are planting the thought of suicide in their brain and you know as I look back to my years in youth ministry I can understand where that lie would come from that you know you you look at your kids in your youth group and you see them laughing and giggling and you never think oh these kids would never think about these things and yet what we're learning um, through the Get School Tour and these school assemblies that we do is that again of the 90,000 kids that we've pulled 35% 35% of them have seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months. Now they haven't acted on that. And, and again, thinking about suicide is not you know, the act itself, it, but, but it's an indicator that kids are thinking about this, but they're often keeping that secret struggle that they're not sharing with anybody else, including their peers. So what, what can we do as, as youth workers to just go straight to that conversation, especially with those students that we have one-on-one relationships with already? Um, you know, I, hey, I was, I was listening to this podcast the other day, and it was talking about mental health, and it just, you know, the Lord just kind of put it on my heart to ask you, Joey, do you ever struggle with thoughts of suicide? Do you ever think about that? What, what we've found as we've trained parents in this conversation is that they have been overwhelmed as to how many of their young people, how many of their kids have told them that they've, they've thought about it or they've talked to their their friend about this because their friend maybe has shared something about this. But what it's done is it's lowered the stigma to say, we can talk about it. We are going to talk about it because this is just another tactic to rob us of that life to the full that Jesus paid for on the cross. And so talking about it is not a problem. It's, It's not a sin. It's actually very important that we talk about it, especially in relationships where there's a trusted adult, definitely when there's a parent. But even more importantly, when you've got a peer to peer relationship where you really do care about your friend's long term future uh, and doing whatever it takes to get them safe and, and the help that they deserve. Well, you're
0: leading the way in in so many areas of this and the work that you do is so important and critical in these days. So, Clinton, tell people where they can go to learn more about what you're doing about this work.
3: Yeah, so there's, there's two worlds that we live in. Um, RemedyLive.com is, is our primary you know focus point. That's the chat center. That's where our staff do their work. We've got 40 paid people that work around the clock, 24 hours a day, chatting with kids from all around the country that, again, are searching Google, looking for someone to talk to. And we would always want to be a reference and a resource to a youth worker that at 2 in the morning, although we know students are going to call our youth workers at 2 in the morning, We also want the youth worker to know that we could also be that service at 2 in the morning that could be a partner to that relationship. So youth pastors, churches, anybody, you know, by simply texting the number 494949 anywhere in the United States, you're going to be talking to one of our staff and be able to have a conversation. RemedyLive.com will also help you do that. So those are two features or two ways that people could connect with us then the other side of it is our, our our school events our live school events called the get school tour and that's where we're in the school uh we've had 150 events in the last three years mostly here in northeast indiana as we pilot this thing but this is just another way that we're trying to have influence within the school system and within the greater world to show that you know listening is key technology can be used to get people talking about things like mental health and uh, that's that's something that we would love if, if there's a a church or a youth ministry that's effectively working with a school somewhere in the United States and you're looking for a partner to come in and help you to be able to do mental health dialogue and to get kids talking and doing some polling and some data collection uh, we'd love to partner with you in that space and that's getschooltour.com so a couple connecting points You know, I'm on social media at Clinton Foppel and Instagram and Twitter and all that but we would just love to serve any way we can help youth workers just because we know as and I know from, from doing it for so many years it's important that we realize that we've got, you know, a support system around us. And we're not in this alone. We're in this together. And especially in this world that's changing every day when it comes to the the trends and the technologies, we need that constant, consistent message that you're spending time with students. And that's not a waste of time ever because every kid matters and every life is significant.
0: Powerful. Thank you, Clinton, for your work. Thanks for all you do helping us try to do what we do out there. We appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you. It's been great being with you. Thank you, Clinton.
0: Well, we want to point you back to the resources that we we just heard about in this episode. You know, We talked about um, Remedy Live, which is an amazing thing. I, I want to remind you that this is a website and a ministry that's helping students, thousands and thousands of students all the time. Keep that in mind for your ministry as you work with students. Phil Joel's book, Redwoods and Wales is another great resource for students. Also, I want to I want to mention Jackie Shepard's book Silent Takeover, which is available on Amazon as well. Another really good resource if you want to get more into the weeds of of the physiological side of of depression and anxiety and how that affects the mind. But Jason, you and I have personal experiences with some of these things and and we wanted to wrap up these two episodes just by saying how much this issue matters, not just In our society today, but it matters in our lives as well.
2: I think we can get to a topic like mental health. And if we are in the ministry, if we are a Christian listening to this and we don't really fully understand what it is, we can easily go, well, just pray more or really just devote your life to Christ and this issue will disappear. And you mentioned we have personal stake in this topic. Um, I grew up with a dad that was uh, struggling with depression for over 20 some years and he couldn't just pray it away. He wanted to, but I remember the struggles that he faced and he was in the ministry. He was in the ministry for over 30 years and youth ministry, um, leading youth ministries. And I remember my mom having to just deal with such hard aspects of depression when somebody is dealing with this depression and thoughts of suicide and dealing with suicide attempts, that's heavy.
0: And your your family is a family of really great, strong faith.
2: Solid faith. I attribute my faith walk to the example that they they had and instilled in my life, and I look to them and, and pillars of faith, for sure pillars of prayer it wasn't just like weak prayer that my mom was your
0: mom yeah who's no longer with us your mom was an incredible prayer warrior
2: yeah morning after morning after morning she spent time with Jesus and you know I I would wake up and I knew she met with Jesus and, and in such personal ways and she as I became more of an adult she would tell me about those times and what she's learning and and how God was moving in her life. So I say that in a way that's like, she wasn't just giving the antidote of just pray it away or just spend more time in the word. My dad could not be healed of this. And and so when we talk about mental health and in the ministry and students struggling with it, yeah, I don't think we can just simply say, go and read your Bible more. Yeah,
0: it's not necessarily many times a, a simple solution to some of these things. And as we're reflecting on this too, I thought about a friend that I've had since high school that also has dealt with um, depression and some things in his life and also served in ministry for many years in local churches. And, and he's still a, a dear, good friend of mine today and still deals with it and, and had some really some deep, dark things happen in his life. And, and I've been walking through that with him for, for a couple decades now. In, in a very open dialogue and discussion with him. And so these are people, Jason, that you and I care about. And and what I feel like is sometimes I, when I look at this issue, I think what I see is a, a lot where people are on one or two extremes, either like you mentioned, they're saying, just pray about it and God will lead you through it. And then some other people maybe leave that out and go to the the medical field, go go, you know, that route, go to the science and the knowledge side. While I think both are important, I think maybe there's somewhere to land in the middle on this where we can say you have to be seeking God in this, but you also have to be seeking people that God has given wisdom and discernment to in some areas of expertise, medically and and psychologically, and those things both really matter. And I think if you find yourself maybe on one of those two extremes, think about moving more towards the middle because both matter, and both, I think, can help. But, But one last thing. That um, I think is important for us to to consider is that in praying and seeking God about this, God may not and and often in many areas doesn't answer to our expectations in the way that we would want. So you mentioned you know your family and and my friend as well praying for God to remove this and it doesn't happen. And I think when that happens, people contend. And I think this is true of students when God doesn't answer the prayer the way they want, particularly in some of these deeper issues of mental health and depression anxiety, then they can throw in the towel. I think that's where a lot of students look to suicide as a solution instead of realizing that God may not always remove our challenges, but He always will help us get through those challenges if we're looking to Him.
2: There's definitely a balance between the two of the spiritual aspect of it, but also the medical side of it. There can be a a chemical imbalance and medicine can help but we were even discussing this on the topic of anxiety of when we approach that topic we can easily just say just pray it away and and you all be less anxious i don't think it's necessarily praying about the anxiety as much as what we've discussed as when you spend more time with with god and you devote your more time in prayer just by being in his presence starts to give you a a peace that that doesn't just come from anything else. But when we focus on the anxiety, that anxiety tends to just remain. But when we just focus on spending time with God and just being in his presence, naturally it starts to provide peace that Overrides that anxiety that anxiety of what you're being anxious about the the things that you may be stressed about or need to get done or what you need to do Is still there like you said, but there's this underlining piece that God is in control and so there's that balance of students may be presenting anxious tendencies or depression or whatever and and instead of just giving just the spiritual side To encourage the medical side as well but we just have to be a little bit more aware of this and and cautious of how we present our solutions to students
0: so as you're listening to this if you're involved in the life of student there's parents we've got pastors youth pastors youth workers youth directors we just want to say thank you their students are dealing with some heavy heavy issues and you and their life are so important we've just recently we'll talk about it next season we've done some research where we found out that conversations in the role of a small group leader are are much larger and important to students than what i'd previously realized so we want to say thank you we want to say thank you for what you're doing for students we want to say thank you for your role in their lives you are so important you matter and literally you may save a life because of the work that you do So thank you so much for your investment in students.
2: The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.
3: We're in the bonus segment where we
0: are giving you updates on this exciting event called Claim Your Campus 2020. It's an event that will be unlike any other. Jason, this summer, 50 years will be celebrated from a culture shaping event that happened July of 1969. Do you know what it is? It
2: was a uh, livestock. No, Ugh,
0: shoot. <sighs> You're almost there.
2: L- lice stock.
0: No, Woodstock.
2: Oh, it was not live at all. Was there
0: livestock? There probably was. Cattle? Livestock there. It was at a farm, so I'm assuming, yeah. In upstate New York. So close. Woodstock, July 1969. 50 years this summer in 2019 will be the anniversary. We're doing an event, an outdoor event. It's a two-night, three-day event for students. And this event isn't to celebrate music, it's to celebrate what students can do to show and share Jesus at their school campus. We're talking about middle and high school students. I want you to be with us there. We've got 60 other organizations behind this and we're all pulling together to do this once in a lifetime historic event on July 4th weekend, 2020. And with us today talking about Claim Your Campus 2020 is good friend, musician, newsboy. Author. author Phil Phil, Joel. So Phil thanks for being with us and you know in this journey you're one of the people I've shared early on just personally about about this and what it is about this event and you seem to catch the vision really right away about what Claim Your Campus um, 2020 is all about so let's hear your heart on this. Where are you at?
1: Yeah well it resonated with me the moment you started talking about it and I, I uh, it reminded me of something my, my wife told me about that happened to her that, you know, and it involved Newsboys, actually. And it involved sort of a, a concert gathering setting. And um, yeah, she told me about how she came to a Newsboys concert. It was actually Newsboys and Stephen Curtis Chapman you know, years and years ago. And it was actually the day that she and I had met. met. But that's a whole other story. But you know, maybe a year before this, she had really met the Lord, you know, had a, an, an, a revival in her heart uh, with the Lord. You know, she'd grown up in the church, but it, but she had this real, you know, fantastic experience that set her on a new course with him, and um, she was really enjoying her walk with the Lord, but she had felt kind of lonely in it. You know, she didn't have a huge peer group that were, were, were chasing after the things of God, and so she came to this event, she came to this concert, and uh, she looked around and there were people just, you know, jumping up and down and worshiping and getting really excited about the Lord and about the things of God. And she began to breathe real deep and she felt like, yes, I'm not alone in this. And she looked around the room and just it, it made her actually quite emotional. And so she told me that story and that has spurred me on and actually helped me understand what happens when we gather, when we come together and we worship and we we look around and we share, and we see that we're all there, and it, it, it does something within us. It just binds us together and it just, I don't know, there's something that resonates and it speaks very, very loudly, not just to us, but to the world at large. The onlookers, what is going on there, it just, it speaks. Um, and that's the kingdom of God when we're gathering in Jesus' name, when we're unified in love, man, that is really, really powerful. And that's what's going to happen July 4th, 2020.
0: Yeah, I love what you're talking about that, and just in terms of how events can can be life-altering moments. And -hmm. and I've seen that in my life. You're talking about your wife, Heather, and we've all experienced that. And that's what we're asking God for. You know, you can't manufacture Mm -hmm. things like that, but our humble prayer from everyone that's been involved in this and working on it We've been praying, God, meet us there and meet these students in that field in Kansas and let's have a moment with you and and just like what you said, Phil, like those moments we the phrase we've been using is moments mobilized movements that all it yeah. takes is that we have a moment with God and then something yeah. happens.
1: That's right. And that is I mean, the, the prayer is, yeah, Lord, meet us there, be there obviously in a powerful way. But the reality is if we turn up and if we turn up with our hearts open, if we uh, then, man, wild things happen,
3: yeah. and
1: that's what's going to happen if you know if we turn up closed off and not really ready to sort of, you know, see God move. Then <laughs> that's it. You know, He's not aloof. He's not sort of waiting for a certain amount of prayers, obviously, for us, for Him to sort of break through the clouds and and make Himself known. It's us, and so you know, I'm I'm so excited, and it's been so cool watching the process. And I know it's still what. I don't know. Eight? No, not eighteen months. Not even that. What sixteen months 16, away. Sixteen.
0: Sixteen months from Ooh. now. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up.
1: Sometimes I think it takes that amount of time to even prepare our hearts and get us into a new place to to see God move and do something great.
0: So yeah, that's right. Pumped. Yeah. Pumped for it. Thanks, Phil, for your time and thanks for your support. And we're so glad that you're part of Claim Your Campus 2020, Jason. Tell everyone where they can go to learn more about this event.
2: They can go to ClaimYourCampus2020.com and you can go there to get more information. You can sign up as an adult advocate. You can also go on Facebook and there is a Facebook page for adult advocates. If you want to be updated regularly, there's going to be weekly updates that you can see video-wise. I believe you are providing updates through Facebook on a weekly basis. Yep,
0: live coaching every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. So if you go to, on Facebook, Claim Your Campus Advocates, it's a group. Join that group. Hear more. Adults, we know we do have some students listening, but for the most part, majority of you are adults. You play a very, very foundational role in this event because we need what we call adult advocates that will hear about this. And for a school that they love and care about, get that school reserved for this event so that that school can be represented by students that can sign up so claim your campus 2020.com go there learn more want to see you at this amazing event